I haven't moved on very far from the last recording, and this is the third one I've made today. Um, I was remembering to Sue last evening about Mr. Howells uh, in Norman's book, Rhys Howells' Intercessor by Norman Grubb, the Welsh coal miner, a prince with God. I was sharing with her uh, Rhys's experience at the ticket office, standing in line, and uh, the story is here before me. My stomach is rumbling. I want food, yet I'm too excited to eat. So I will read this now. I have a note in here myself. In fact, I have a note in here dated December the 4th, 2007. An encouragement to my wife, darling. Sue, please read this chapter and be encouraged. Love, Tony. Kiss, kiss, kiss. Chapter 23, Standing in the Queue. Meanwhile, Mr. Howells had written to me, sorry, had written to Mr. Albert Head, who was the chairman of the South Africa General Mission, as well as being chairman of the Keswick and Landrindyard Conventions, and an offered for the mission field. He told him about the healing of his uncle and Joe, and he received a letter from Mr. Head asking him to come to London and meet the council of the mission and to bring Joe with him. The morning they left for London, he and Mrs. Howells had only two pounds, and she needed money that very day. But as usual, first need, first claim. As he was going before the post arrived, he had the claim on the money, and he comforted his wife by saying that more would be sure to come in the post. Joe and he arrived in London with only five shillings, having taken single fares. Mr. Howe met the council the next evening, and he and Mrs. Howes were accepted for the field. A meeting had been arranged for him the following day by Mr. Head where he was to speak on intercession. The Lord blessed, and when he left for the day when he left the day after, as Mrs. Mr. Head shook hands with him, he said, The Lord has been speaking to me through you. I have never kept a missionary before, but God has told me to keep you as my missionary. No one else is to support you. And while you are preaching in Africa, I will share in the harvest. <coughs> before they took their return train they had lunch with some friends and as they left an envelope was put into Mr. Howell's hand when he opened it at Paddington there were five gold, golden sovereigns inside they had arrived with five shillings but were leaving with five pounds the Lord has only done for us what he did with the water that was turned into wine Joe remarked he has just changed the colour. They had a praise meeting when they arrived home, Mrs. Howells telling how the two pounds came half an hour after he had left. There was nothing in the world better for strengthening one's faith than testings, was Mr. Howells' comment. Later they both left for Scotland, where Mrs. Howells was to take a year's training in the faith mission. Shortly afterwards, he left her there and went on to London for nine months' medical course at Livingston College. Here again, there were many trials of faith and deliverances. His special friend at the college, with whom he had a close relationship in the spirit, was a Mr. Harold St. John of the Brethren, who came, uh, became well-known later as a Bible teacher. 
They used to get up at five o'clock each morning to wait on God, knocking on the wall between them to wake each other. Meanwhile, Mrs. Howells had all all her needs supplied in Scotland. Mr. Howells never had Uh, never once had to send her anything. We were in the school of faith, he said, and there is nothing to be compared with having to be delivered to keep you abiding. You will never do it without. On one occasion, only only, uh, on one occasion, he, he only had a few days in which to get 20 pounds. This was needed for Mrs. Howell's admission to a maternity course in the City Road Hospital for which she was coming down to London. There was another student, a Cambridge graduate, who had been saying openly that he had never prayed a prayer that had brought a direct, definite answer. So Mr. Howells invited him to join uh, in this prayer for £20. He had never heard of praying for money like that and expecting it to come. They were to pray for two hours one afternoon, each in his own room. The young man was exhausted at the end of it. He had never known time go so slowly. He said the two hours were like two months. Mr. Howells did not pray uh, through in the afternoon, so suggested that they go back for a further two hours in the evening. What? exclaimed his friend. Four months hard labor for 20, 20 pounds? However, he agreed to try again if Mr. Howells thought it would be of any help. Before the end of the second period, Mr. Howells went to his room and said, You don't need to pray any more. I am through. Have you got the money, he said? No, but I have got faith and the money will come. Later that night, they were taking a walk together when the student suddenly stopped, leant against the fence and roared with laughter. What are you laughing at? Mr. Howells asked. I was just thinking of the chap who will have to give you the 20 pounds. He had seen it. Two days later, Mr. Howells received two 10 pound notes. What a blessing it was when he went to his friend's room and held them up for him to see. It became quite a habit of the principal of the college to invite Mr. Howells into tea whenever he had any special visitors and ask him to relate some of his experiences of faith. Some people wondered why Mr. Howells studied medicine after the Lord had given him such a wonderful cases of healing. But the point was, as has already been mentioned, that he never was opposed to medicine. The principle he had found in a life of intercession was that man's extremity is God's opportunity, and most of the cases he had were when medicine had failed. Commenting on this, Mr. Howells said he had only refused to give medicine in one case, and that was when Samuel was born and his wife was gravely ill. The Lord told him he was not to take medicine. What a test it was, he said. It was a fight of faith for me and a fight with death for her. I never shook in my position. The the one thing I knew was that the Lord told me. I said to my wife, you are not going, uh, you're not to take any medicine and you are not to die. At our extremity, in our reading one morning, the words, have faith in good, have faith in God, stood out in golden letters. We believed, and from that moment, she began to get well. On the general subject of medicine and faith, Mr. Howe said, to tell other people not to take medicine when we are not sure of our guidance is nothing less than a tragedy if they die. But I know in cases of where people were guided not to take medicine and had victory all through their lives. 
One was, uh, one was Lord Radstock, who gave me many instances of how the Lord had honoured faith. Another was A.B. Simpson, the founder of the Christian Missionary Alliance. And I'm going to break there. And was of the Daily Bread, December the 7th, I just read today. Who proved over and over again that there is healing in the blood. In cases of giving medicine, it depends wholly on guidance. If the Holy Spirit leads a person not to give it, he will be sure to make up for it. We were both guided to take a course in nursing and medicine, and the proof was that the Lord had to answer prayer to enable us to do so. After we had finished our training in Edinburgh, London, the Lord opened the way for me to be a dispenser with a doctor for six months, and my wife to take a maternity course both of which proved most useful on the mission field. About a week before they sailed, they received money from the mission to pay their expenses to London, but they needed some things to complete their outfit. Once again, the rule was applied, first need, first claim. There is also a tendency to keep money as to get out of God's testings, but Mr. Howells and and we tried our best to do it this time. Anyway, we had to spend the money, and all the people of the place thought we were well supplied. So we were up to that week, and we thought uh, money would be sure to come the day before we were to leave for London. But the last post came and no money, and our train was leaving before the post the next morning. We thought it would be very hard to say goodbye to my uncle and aunt and little Samuel, but the burden for the train money made the parting a little easier. That is often the way with the Lord. When we have a very hard thing to do, he will burden us in another way to make the former one easier. Take note, Tony, from your last week's experience. Next morning, it was not so hard to part with our parents because we had to walk to the station without the money. We felt sure it would come on the station platform, but no, the time came for the train to leave. What were we to do? There was only one thing possible. We still had ten shillings and and must go as far as we could with it. Then our extremity would be God's opportunity. We had to change trains at Lanelli Station, about twenty miles from our home, and wait there a couple of hours. So without letting anyone know, we only booked as far as that. There were many people at our home station wishing us all the good things, but what we needed was money to go to London. Many also came as far as Lanelli singing on the way. The thought that came to me was I'd sing better if I had the money. <laughs> we went out to breakfast with some friends at Lanelli and then walked back to the station, still not delivered, and now the time for the train had come. The spirit then spoke to me and said, If you had the money, what would you do? Take my place in the queue at the booking office, I said. <laughs> well, are you not preaching that my promises are equal to current coin? You had better take your place in the queue. So there was nothing I could do except obey. There were about a dozen people before me. They were passing by the booking office one by one. The devil kept on telling me, now you only have a few people in front of you, and when your turn comes, you'll have to walk through. You have preached about uh, uh, much about Moses with the Red Sea in front of the Egyptians behind, but now you're the one who is shut in. Yes, shut in, I answered. But like Moses, I will be gloriously led out. 
when there were only two before me, a man stepped out of the crowd and said, I'm sorry, I can't wait any longer, but I must open my shop. He said, goodbye, and put 30 shillings in my hand. It was the most glorious and and only a foretaste of what the Lord would do in Africa if we would obey. After I had the tickets, the people who came with us to the train began to gift to us, began to give gifts to us, but the Lord had held them back until we had been tested. We were singing all the way to London. On their arrival, Mr. Head asked them to breakfast the next morning. He then told them that he had £50 for them, but he didn't post it. Thank God you didn't, said Mr. Howells, adding to himself. I wouldn't have been without the test in the queue for anything. They had all their outfit, except three things, a watch, a fountain pen, and a raincoat each. They had never mentioned these things to anyone, but at breakfast, Mr. Head said, What kind of watches have you? And told them that his son Alfred wanted to give them a watch each. He then asked, have you prepared the rainy seasons? Have, have you prepared for the rainy seasons in Africa? Have you got good raincoats? When they said they hadn't, he told them to go get one each and wrote down an address on a card saying that they were to get them at his expense. After writing the address, he asked, Have you seen this kind of fountain pen? No, they replied. You must take one each with you, he said. The three things they named to the Lord, he named to them. Mr. Head asked them to come to breakfast the following morning again and to take prayers. He suggested that Mr. Howells should should tell the servants a little of his experiences of faith. You used to have a life of faith some time ago, didn't you, he said. Yes, quite recently too, answered Mr. Howells, and I told them about standing in the queue. Mr. Head could hardly breathe, waiting to hear how he got out of it, like this in my giving. So they left England on July the 10th, 1915, after glorious victory, knowing that the one who had called them into this life was able to deliver them in all circumstances. So there you go. Another note I have here from December the 5th, 2007. Wow. December the 5th, 2007 was the day I, uh, or 2005th, 2007, well, 2013, six years later, was the day that ended it for me with working as a contractor and agreed it was time to step away, having previously given notice earlier this week. And um, I, I, I am flabbergasted that synchronicity of dates here. To the day, six years later. To the day, six years later. I write, Lord, you are the one who has called me, us, to this life, to help others. And in faith, as best we know how, in your strength, believe you to deliver us in all circumstances. Love from your son, Tony. Sorry about that. But absolutely, absolutely unbelievable testimony and 
me.